checking the list. He's checking it twice. <laughs> Hi, guys. This is Jen. This is Becky. Well, this is Too Close to Home. Welcome back. It's part two of John List, and he is making a list. <laughs> it's not who's naughty or nice. It's just his whole fucking family. And it's his skewed version, like, you sinners. <laughs> How are we going to get you to heaven? I guess I'm just going to have to murder you. Of course. That's what I always think, too. <laughs> so... We're going to just go in fast and hard. Just the way I like it. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. So uh, John Liss had been making his honeydew list of death. And, you know, like we talked before, he went and got his fingerprints so he could leave that for the cops to identify him later, yeah. of course, which Smart. was fucking stupid. Uh, he also gave Patty the permission for the Halloween party. And he oh, had sat right. the kids down and asked them how they wanted to be. Uh, you know, buried, either cremated or, you know, what have you. And uh, so the kids are fucking terrified at this point. Patty told her teacher, Patty is his oldest daughter, tells her drama teacher, Ed Eliano, that she expressed her father's threats to murder her. He shrugged it off like, you know, because apparently their relationship was explicit. So in that case, he... Thought maybe she was just trying to get more of his attention and yeah, like okay, <laughs> I've had plenty of middle school girlfriends. Ugh. I know. So he just shrugs it off and keeps going on about his business, and then he drives her home one night, and John John Junior grabs Ed by the arm and urgently tells him that whenever he's in the neighborhood, just stop on by, just drop on by, and Ed recalls that he had this look of quiet hysteria in his eyes. Which I don't even know. I mean, it's just the fear is all I could think. Right. And he still didn't do anything about it. Of course not. He had other middle school girls to go bang. Right. I mean, I... Thursday's Patty, Friday's Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> so Monday, May 8th, Patty called Ed and begged him to come over, but not stating why. Just like, I need you to get over here now. He was already super over this whole situation, so he just said, I'm tired can't do it i'll catch up with you later apparently on november 8th that's the night that john list decided for sure that he was going to murder his family and that night he slept the best that he had slept in years that's sad yeah the murder plan was super simple it was killing everyone one by one and stacking their bodies in the ballroom and disappearing Remember from the first episode, he had a 19-bedroom damn mansion for their small-ass family, and the ballroom was in the center of the mansion, so there was no real windows to it. It would be easier to keep them hidden from peeking eyes. That's how my ballroom is in my house. It's right in the middle with no windows. <laughs> Isn't that where you keep your ballroom? It is, yeah. <laughs> Whenever we have galas. Exactly. That would be really cool, though. I hope we get rich enough that we could do that. Like Have a true crime gala. <laughs> Everybody dresses up as a different serial killer. Do you remember the movie The Labyrinth? Yes. The ballroom scene in that. Like, I want to be like Jennifer Connelly and dancing with David Bowie, R.I.P. <laughs> Just in that real 80s teased up hair. Like That would be fun. That was my dream as a child. <laughs> May come true one day. It would be really fucking spooky. <laughs> Considering he's dead. <laughs> so, what Jimmy could be your 
David Bowie. I would love to dress him up like him. Oh my god, he would rock that. He would. The, like the whole makeup, <clears throat> the sparkles, yes, yes. the cod piece. <laughs> yes, yes. I can't say yes enough. <laughs> Watch and be like, hold on, you didn't know, but I already had this outfit prepped and ready to go. I've been waiting for the call. <laughs> I've been having my pod ki- pot cod piece polished and ready to show off, yeah, babe. So, like locked up in the closet, ready, like he's being called to war. Like grandma jump back and go, <laughs> except he's like grandma David Bowie can go. <laughs> you mean you don't have a David Bowie kit, losers? Ooh. <laughs> don't. <laughs> so. I'm sorry, guys. I keep saying the word so, and Jimmy has pointed out that I say that awful lot. So it's given me a complex. It's okay. I always say right. So, right. (laughs) (laughs) So, John List, like us, was a true crime aficionado, loved true crime, and he knew that if milk bottles and newspapers were to stack up on the front porch and the side porch, people might be a little curious. So, he made plans to send a letter to the newspaper, make sure that was cut off and everything. Well, the first day, or the day that he was planning to do all this, the newspaper gets delivered. Already throwing off his plans, because this man is really OCD. He's got list upon list. <laughs> As his namesake. <laughs> you know, he's like, I got this, all this shit I've got to get done today, and it's got to happen in this fashion, and this order. And that newspaper just goes ahead and sets the tone for the day of everything fucking up for him. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> At 8.30, uh, the milkman came by to drop off their weekly order, and John left a note canceling until further notice due to unforeseen travel. And so at that point, the kids, at, they were already taking care of themselves a bunch because uh, Helen, Helen was, you know, Laying in bed, dying of syphilis brain. Drinking. Drinking. Quaaluded. Gucci wear. Gucci! (laughs) Those kids had already went off to school, and John and Helen actually had separate bedrooms. So they had this real quiet ritual every morning. He'd be sitting at the table reading the newspaper, and she'd come in to make coffee. At 9 a.m., she came down to do that ritual, and he shoots her in the jaw by accident, missing. And then he panics and he just shoots her a shit ton. And then he realizes with all those shots, his mother's probably going to hear him. One shot is something that you can be like, oh, maybe that was down the street. Nine or ten is going to make somebody curious. So she lived in a third floor room apartment and he just runs up there. And if you can imagine John List with his fucking glasses and he's like probably got a suit and tie on. And he's probably sweating profusely. Mm. <laughs> exactly. Busts through the damn door and shoots his mother. Point blank. His mother, right before he shot her, said, she turns around and goes, John, what was that noise? Well, that's what the noise was. You're about to find out. So he starts trying to get her body down to the ballroom. And she's too heavy. So he stuffs her in a closet in the side cupboard. And then he takes, like, newspaper and towels and, like, is gathering up the blood. He does the same thing with Helen. He takes her, drags her body into the ballroom. And there was already, uh, what are those things called? For camping. Tarp? Tent? 
that you sleep in sleeping bags. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> the bags asleep. <laughs> he had already had a sleeping bag set up for all the family, kind of like meticulously laid out. And so, of course, she, he puts her in there, cleans up all the blood from that being dragged around. And then he has this one moment of like unadulterated expression. Is the only way I can put it. He covered her face with a towel, cleans up the blood, and then he goes and he lays in her bed and he convulsed in tears, freaking the fuck out, and then goes to her bathroom, vomits, and leaves a big-ass bloody handprint on the toilet. Gathers himself together, takes a shower, puts on another suit and tie, and he knew he had a an appointment with his boss at like 10 a.m., but he decided to cancel it, and he stated to his boss, which was the going excuse for all everybody disappearing, is that his mother-in-law was sick, and they had to travel to North Carolina unexpectedly and would be gone for an undetermined amount of time. He also wrote letters to the kids' school for the same reason. And then he went outside and raked leaves. What? I know. First of all, I hate to rake leaves, period. If I'm about to bounce because I killed my whole family, I'm not worried about the yard. Especially with it being a record low, all his neighbors would have definitely noticed him being outside raking leaves in the fucking freezing ass weather when nobody else is raking leaves. True crime aficionado? I think not. I think not. (laughs) He knew that the kids were going to come home at certain times because they were already scheduled out with extracurriculars and jobs, and he liked it that way. That was his OCD and control. But at noon, Patty calls home, sick, needed a ride home. He was pissed off, but he decided to pick her up and he drove her home in silence. Once parked, he jumped out of the car, ran past her into the house, and waited for her. Now, John List, super waspy, like white man, like lazy, probably doesn't work out other than raking Mm -hmm. the leaves, already profusely sweating still, I'm sure, from anxiety and nervousness, runs past, you've probably never seen your dad run. Right. And you're just going to be like, okay. Well, isn't this the same daughter he already told he was going to murder them? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, today must be the day. I'm going to go ahead and head back the other way. (laughs) I know how to read between the lines. (laughs) I'm not that sick. (laughs) I do wonder, though, as a child, if your parent told you that, like, what would you do? Well, it makes me think of... Nobody um, listened to you when you tried to reach out to somebody already. It makes me think of Diane Downs' daughter, like you were talking about, where she was like, if her dad... I mean, if maybe she wouldn't do it again. Maybe yeah. she was just really mad. You know, Maybe dad was just, you know, I hear how mom talks to him, yelling Gucci all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Once she closed the door, he shot her behind the head. And took her body into the ballroom. And then at 1 p.m. he showered again, changed his clothes again, and began to run errands. He went to the bank and he cashed a check and mailed the letter to the school children's school so they would know. And placed a 30-day hold on their mail. And then he had uh, a special delivery scheduled with a note and a key set up to come to his house at 5 p.m. Which doesn't make sense. Especially if he wasn't expecting the kids to come home. So what was the point of that? 
you're just bringing kid people towards the house? Like, were you setting yourself up for failure? I don't know. Then he went to the bank and he drained the last bit of his mother's money, which was $200 left from 50000 Oh. Then he cashed in savings bonds worth $2,000, and that's what he would use to start his life the next day. At 3 p.m., little old Fred heard of his sister's illness, and just like a good brother, he decided to come home to take care of his sister, knowing that her, you know, his parents weren't going to do it. He called for a ride home, and just like Patty, he ran in front of Fred, Patty. <laughs> he ran in front of Fred into the house, and as soon as Fred walked in, this time he shot him face to face, point oh. blank in the head, and he drug him to the ballroom. So you got three people buried, one lady in the closet. John Jr. was supposed to be a soccer practice, but because of how cold the weather was, remember it was unseasonably cold, it was canceled. And as John's sitting there, he just catches him, spots him coming up the driveway. And he's pissed off, but he gets ready and he uh, positions himself again. And when he comes in the door, he shoots, but John Jr. actually dodges and misses the first shot. And then John List the father, shot him 10 times. Mm. And John Jr. was supposedly his favorite child. So I don't know if it was just like a, like the finale of fireworks, you know, like I'm just going off in a hail of bullets now. Like, I don't know. Well, he was probably so mad that the family messed up all his kill plans by coming home early from being sick and practices getting canceled. And then he had to clean up their blood. Do you know how much work? I wasted all that newspaper. And I already stopped the newspaper delivery. <laughs> Once he organized the bodies, he dropped to his knees and he asked for the Lord's forgiveness. So in that moment, to him, he's good. He's square. They're in heaven because they didn't kill themselves. And, you know, the children are innocent. And he's good. his mother's not going to suffer. His wife's not going to suffer anymore. And he can move on with his life. Poor Flagra. Yeah. Then he calls his, oh, no, at 5 p.m., the mailman delivered the, the letter John mailed via special delivery, even though he was still at home at the time with shit that he had to tie up. He then calls his reverend, Eugene A. Raywinkle, at 7 p.m., and they had a friendly chat and told him the same song and dance about his mother-in-law being ill and that they'd be gone for a good bit. Then he called Ed Eliano and told him Patty would be missing classes for quite some time and would miss an upcoming performance, which was super odd in Ed's eyes because it was a huge role for her. She was very dedicated to drama. So to know that she was going to intentionally miss this was, like, very what? odd. Yeah. And also, like, you know, so they had to talk about their her dad and how much he probably hated drama and, you know... Well, and this is the same guy that the little girl told him, my dad said it's going to kill me, and now all of a sudden... She's going to be missing? Yeah. Okay, Aren't any Ed. light bulbs going off there, buddy? Not a single one. Then he sat down and he started writing letters. At one point, he had a consulting business, and on the letters, it was a stationery from that failed business, and it said, Johnny List, career builder. <laughs> Coming from the man that was sitting uh, train stations. Maybe you're not a career builder. Maybe not. <laughs> he wrote a, a letter to his mother-in-law apologizing for the murders and listing the reasons, you know, they were right on the edge of foreclosure. 
we're running out of money and it would be a sin if I let my family go into ruin. So I killed them so they'd go to heaven. And then he wrote to Helen's sister Jean, stating the same thing, and then noting this, this is a quote, sincere sympathy for the unavoidable death of her sister. Unavoidable? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know Helen was crazy. <laughs> Gucci. <laughs> but. But nobody deserves to be murdered. No. Uh, and I know we roasted her like a mofo last episode, but that is a pure... Uh, coping mechanism. <laughs> exactly. I stand by that statement. Uh, but you know, if we don't laugh, it's crying for sure. A hundred percent. He wrote to his own mother's sister, Lydia, stating the same thing. And then uh, he had relieved his mother from, uh, quote, this veil of tears. Are you a poet now, John? It's a man that wears many caps. <laughs> He wrote to his boss at State Mutual Life Insurance, which, uh, first of all, if I murder my family, I'm not going to write to my boss. I think you're going to figure it out later, and I'm not going to need, you're going to put it together, and you don't need to know. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But he said he apologized for having to quit his job and, quote, I want to thank you for everything that you did for me. You treated me better than any associate that I've ever dealt with, and I am sorry I have to repay you in this way. The person you should be sorry to is your family, but okay. Yeah. The last letter was to his pastor, justifying everything he had done in order to prevent his family from going to hell. You're the only person that I know, while not condoning this, will at least partially understand why I felt like I had to do this. And then he requested that he be dropped from the church rolls and that the murders had been what God had wanted, as they had never he had never answered his previous prayers to concerning the kids, his wife, or his financial situation. He requested to be dropped from the church rolls as though that wasn't already going to happen when you disappeared yeah. and then we found out you murdered your family. Drop you like a hot potato, okay? So quick. We're going to try definitely to wasn't Lutheran. remove your name as quickly as we can from any association with this church. Best P.S. I've ever heard in my life, though. P.S. Mother is in the hallway in the attic on the third floor. She was too heavy to move. So now you're roasting her? <laughs> you done killed her then you couldn't carry her down to hide her body and then you gonna say she's fat mm -hmm. he opened the letter he mailed himself earlier that day and it contained the key for his desk in which he locked the letters in and left a note and the key on which why I'm gonna lock it and then leave a key on top just leave it unloaded you can make this a popping circumstance uh, so okay cause I was wondering what he did with all these letters but now okay he locked them up in the desk drawer for what yeah with with in. the key on top and then there was like a letter where it was dictating like these need to be sent to so and so and this needs to be sent to so and so oh sure yeah we'll do your uh tasks for you after you murdered your whole family yeah, yeah we'll, we'll do the rest of your honeydew list since the kids ruined you it. want them sent certified or regular mail <laughs> <laughs> so then he made and ate dinner and slept till just before dawn with every light in the house on which made me think of that old country song Except for the ballroom light, because he don't want to be showing off those bodies. And he woke up. He fed Helen's fish, which I love how they mentioned that in this story. Like, nobody talked about Helen's fish before. Could you imagine her going over there with her syphilis eye and her one blind eye? Hello, fishies. But they were probably already dead. <laughs> 
Then he destroyed all the family photos that he could find, and he lowered the temperature of the house as low as it could to prevent composition, which could, you know, cause detection earlier. Right. But you know, it was the time that this was in, like, there was no Facebook. There was no internet. So, like, if you destroyed the pictures, then that was for sure it. Like, no one's going to know who you are. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> His last errand was running by Patty and Freddie's work to give a note on their absence. And then he left town. I think what, like, strikes me as the most, like, uh, I guess heart-wrenching, for lack of better words, is, like, the killing your family is one thing. Horrible, but one thing. But then afterwards, to, like, go face people and then lie about what happened to them, like, I don't even know how you would keep your composure together to do that. You know what I mean? Maybe that's why he took so many damn showers. I would be sweating. My heart, my blood pressure would be shit. Oh, 100%. I'd end up in the ER. I'd probably be drunk because that's the only way I can make it through it. You'd have to be stone cold for that shit. Yes. So he drives to the JFK airport and he abandons his car in the long-term parking lot. And that's where the trail goes cold for 18 years. Two weeks after the absence of Patty... The drama crew really started getting super concerned because she was missing that performance that she was so stoked about. How long about. did you say before they became concerned? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Because everybody knew at this point he, they were going to be in North Carolina with his mother-in-law because she was sick. All the lights being on was odd, but they were a really odd family anyways. But the concern was drawn as Why would light you leave bulbs. the lights on? And every light. Who leaves every light in their house like on? Like one, like, I'm just going to put this light on so it makes it look like I'm home, but not every light. Well, right. the light bulbs started burning out one by one over this period. So the house gets darker and darker and darker as time goes by. The schools were actually starting to get super concerned because the days went into weeks and it was longer than previously expected from his letters. And then Ed tried to talk to police, but they said they couldn't do anything since there was no sign of wrongdoing. Just do a drive-by. How many times have we said that in just the short amount of time we've been doing this podcast? Get a tip. Drive by. Take a peek in a window. Just a little welfare checky check. Oh, just make sure y'all cool. Okay. That's all. No, there ain't a minute. I mean, he fine. Just a little rap tap tap on the door. No one answers. Peek in an open blind. <laughs> On December 5th, Ed decided to break in the house because he couldn't, you know, get the police to do anything and he couldn't stand it any longer. And he climbs in the window and he discovers the bodies. And he then freaks the fuck out, leaves, and then takes two days to decide to call the police. What? I know. What? He needed two days to process that. That was very traumatic. I mean, they were dead. They weren't going anywhere. What? (laughs) I know. I know. So after those two days, he's like, they've got to have these bodies found and I can't be the one, you know, I don't want to be connected to this. So he goes to break into the house, but he does it really loudly and in true wasp fashion. The cops get called and that's when, you know, he jets out and they discover the bodies. I don't understand why he didn't just go say, look, y'all weren't doing shit. I was concerned. So I popped the window. I went in and I found this. Yeah. Charge me with breaking entering if you want, but I feel like that's probably at least your concerns at this time. Yeah, I think you're concerned about who these is, where he is. So even when he went back the second time, he still just broke in and then ran? Yeah. What? Don't be 
suspicious. His car, John's car, was discovered five days later, and there wasn't any way to find him. And when they came into the house, all the lights had, you know, pretty much burned out. The bodies were in the ballroom, and classical music was blaring on the, the intercom system on the house. How fucking eerie. Creepy. Ooh. That's, that's ghost soup right there. Mm. That's how you make some ghosts. The FBI decided to get involved because he got to an airport, and then he was, you know, if you go to an airport, you're going to end up crossing state lines probably. And they decided to start reaching out to these weird places that they think that somebody might spot them, one of them being pharmacies. He had severe hemorrhoids, and he used a conspicuous amount of Preparation H. Listed. Yeah. As tight as he kept that ass. He still had hemorrhoids falling out. Right? I was like, <laughs> as much as he stayed clenched up and tense and also tight all the time. Is a conspicuous amount. Three tubes? Ten tubes? Twenty. <laughs> how often are you buying it? Is the pharmacy getting like extra shipments for you? Like, John, <laughs> I can't front you anymore. Prep H. <laughs> he bought two tubes and like no one needs two tubes. <laughs> he would not have survived the pandemic, okay? Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Been a wrap. Limits on everything. <laughs> Then his vision was also very bad and very uniquely bad. So they put his flyers of who John List was in um, optometrist. And then they asked for Lutheran churches to do the same because that's how he, you know, obviously by the letters. Yeah. How he led his life. By his letters, he wasn't stopping being a Lutheran. He thought that, you know, being a Lutheran saved him. Which he did. But my thing is. The churches decided they would not do it because everybody needed a place to worship in peace. Did nobody tell the pedo priest that, though? Those children didn't just want to worship him in peace before they got diddled? Hmm? I can't with you. (laughs) And then they discovered that he had... I know. (laughs) I don't want to say the real words because then it makes it real. I can't handle it. It hurts my mom heart. They discovered he had a secret P.O. box that he used for the sole purpose of ordering pornography. Mm, wonder if he need what? What kind of porn sh- do you think he was into? <laughs> Something that went in the ass. That's why he had all those hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> uh, because it can be vanilla. I know he was vanilla, but it had to been like, watch it been like some Dennis Ryder shit. Oh, bondage. Hardcore. When you see his pictures, he gives me a very Dennis Rader vibe. You know, that, oh, that's a good point. He was like Dennis Rader before Dennis Rader came. Oh, man. The only difference is that Dennis Rader did like his, you know, his daughter he said he good was good to his family. Yeah, he was good to his family. His daughter said that he was like the best dad. Yeah. I don't know but if I the way say they that. looked, the way they led their life as far as like career and in church. Oh. Very similar. We're going to have to do a BTK story. Yes. For real. So the year after the murders, the home burned down mysteriously. Probably arson. You know, or an accidental. You know that the neighborhood kids were like, we're going to do some seances and shit in the list house. We're going to do it in the ballroom. (laughs) And with it being an antique house, it was probably easy as shit to break into. (laughs) All the while... John Liss had made it to Colorado and began his new identity of Robert P. Clark. 
exactly. If I'm going to come up with a new identity, it's going to be something more flamboyant than Robert P. Clark. Uh, of course. And he was named after a high school class, or no, an old college classmate. You know that, like, old Clark probably found so that original. out later and was like, fucking really, John? Uh, 100%. <laughs> If you went on, like, a murder spree of your whole family, and then you're like, you know, they think I'm going to be called Becky from now on. I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you, Jen. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to put some money on an inmate's books to beat your ass for doing that. <laughs> they going to find you. They going to find you. <laughs> he bought a trailer for $1,500, so he only had, like... 22, right? The yeah, 2,000 200. and the 200, yeah. And he felt super relieved. Despite thinking he was going to get caught within a week. Well, he didn't get caught within a week. He laid low for months, slowly rebuilding, and he became a cook at a Holiday Inn by a highway. He was known to be friendly and quiet, quiet, but he would flinch at curse words. You know, the Lutheran in him. And He, actually, he would not like our podcast. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> he actually turned out to be a really good cook. Like, for the man who couldn't handle life's pressures, he was quoted to have been like super able to handle kitchen pressure which if you've ever worked in a kitchen it's usually tense you know if it's a high-end kind of thing like he just was in there like shouting orders like we're gonna be great da, 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 da. Hmm. not the john list who was floundering in the 1950s accounting scene uh he eventually became a head chef at a country club with how good of a cook he was but in 1977, he decided he belonged back in his true calling, which really wasn't accounting. <laughs> How do you go from something that worked so great for you to like, let me go back to that shit that made me kill my family? Um, yeah. Uh. <laughs> he started uh, another failing accounting and consulting business. And then he got a client by the name of Dolores Miller, and he used her money to help fund his life. Reminiscent of his mother. He siphoned funds off of her. He met the divorce miller at a Lutheran single social. Not a drop hack on the side of there, I'm sure. <laughs> well, she thought she was uh, a big fan of him. Wasn't a big fan of him. He was super persistent. And she was like, okay, whatever. We'll get together. <laughs> he leached off her. And he was already starting to become more irritable as his business was failing. Because the business was failing, he ended up having to take a job as a office manager at a firm known for packaging. In 1985, him and Dolores got married, but he lost his job. And he couldn't hide it by, like before, so he would sit all day looking at want ads while he was using Dolores' money. Before, where he looked like he was working, he wasn't. He was slowly, but surely, becoming John List again. He became friendly with a neighbor named Wanda Flannery. Now, before, John didn't fraternize with his neighbors, if you recall. He rejected a pie and stuff like that. He was very distant. Well, this Wanda Flannery, he started talking to. She felt super sorry for him, but like me, super nosy. <laughs> she tried to pry information out of him, but was and he was evasive and stated his first wife died after a long illness. I mean, kind of true. Yes, a bullet fever. <laughs> <laughs> she found him, actually, in the Weekly World News via an article called The Perfect Crime. All the info. Oh, so she found out about him. Mm -hmm, that all the info 
about his eyes, what it looked like, his scar information, as well as his personality info matched. She brought it to Dolores, but she was like, okay, sure. That's that's not my husband. That's not my Clark. But they didn't have pictures of him, correct? Nope. Meanwhile, at the Westfield Police Department, uh, Frank Baranca, Baranca got in touch with America's Most Wanted. He was turned down by them and Unsolved Mysteries for being too old and too cold of a case. But he persisted and he wouldn't let it go. And finally, Un- America's Most Wanted agreed to air it in 1989. John, of course, was a huge fan. He was just really watching to make sure his sure. face would never mm-hmm. show up. And on May 21st, 1989, he saw his face. To help the produce to help in the, the search for John List, the producers had brought on Frank Bender, a forensic sculptor, and Richard Walter, a criminal psychologist. They studied photographs, whatever ones they could find, of Mr. List when he was in his mid-40s. Mr. Bender imagined how he might look in 1989, his face sagging with time, and he theorized that Mr. List would still be wearing horn-rimmed glasses to make him appear successful. I bet he was, too, wasn't he? Yeah. It was dead on. Nailed it. Nailed it. The show got... Uh, you know, the show's hotline got 250 calls, which was some of them were like the normal, like people just wanting to talk to people. But the old one of Flannery coming in clutch. Thank God for nosy neighbors. <laughs> she was Gucci. <laughs> she was Gucci. <laughs> Within two weeks, they arrived on his doorstep, to which he sur- surrendered immediately. Which makes you wonder, like, was he just so tired? Like, he knew he was going down the same path again. He was like, fuck it. I'm sure the paranoia never goes away and, you know, becomes very stressful after a while and just wearing you down, always looking over your shoulder. Yeah, and knowing that, like, he's running out of money again, he's becoming less successful. It's a sin. Why didn't he just stay a cook? I know. That's why. I feel like you just stayed off the grid more, too, because you weren't doing the line of work you did before and change up your glasses. And But they had Cordon Bleu schools back in 1942. Would have been much better. For John List. I'm just saying. His wife uh, actually said that she had never even heard of the List murders. And it was not possible since Bob was the nicest man she had ever known. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Cool. When he was fingerprinted, they nailed him immediately from the fingerprint card that of the unneeded gun permit that he applied for weeks before the murders. It took a whole year for him to drop the... Uh, Bob Clark's story that he was Bob Clark this and like it's almost it makes me think of like uh grandparents with the DNA test now where like they'll be like um that DNA test is wrong grandma DNA don't lie <laughs> but I'm sure your ancestors did <laughs> exactly <laughs> I know they told you that you were kin to you know Attila but you were <laughs> but maybe you was not <laughs> you played bingos on Thursdays <laughs> and kill like cribbage. <laughs> Mental issues were at fault, uh, is what he stated. Like his OD, OCD and his fanatical religiousness. Okay, look, so, I got OCD too, but not, and my kids and husband drive me crazy that they don't have the same OCD mm-hmm. as me, but it's never to the point where I want to murder them. Yeah, that's what he states is the reason. Like, that's the justified reason. And then he, he tried to bring in Helen's syphilis and Patty's supposed witchcraft as <laughs> reasons for the murders. And he was found guilty and sentenced to life April 12th, 1990. Said zero out of ten he would do this again. 
Stop. He did not say that. No, he didn't say it like that. No. Okay. <laughs> I was imagining being like, zero out of ten chance I'll do it again, so just let me go. Just let me go. <laughs> I'll never get into accounting again. <laughs> yeah. I've crunched the numbers, and there's a zero percent chance I'm going to do this again. <laughs> I'm accountant. I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> In 2002, he had an interview with Connie Chung, and this is uh, something that she... He said, Man, talk about a blast from the past, Connie Chung. Right? I feel when we get to heaven and we won't worry about these earthly things, they'll either have forgiven me or won't realize, you know, what happened. <laughs> List told downtown's Connie Chung in an interview at the New Jersey State Prison in Trenton, where he is serving five life sentences. I'm sure that if we recognize each other, then we'll like each other's company just as we did here when times were better. I know. <laughs> What's her? That's like that. Looking at hindsight, like through rose-colored glasses, everybody was miserable around you. And first of all, you and your wife didn't even really like each other. No, she trapped you into marriage. Yes. So he died March 28, 2008, not that long ago, in prison 18 years. 18 years of freedom, 18 years of prison. Died at St. Francis Medical Center in Trenton four days after being taken from the New Jersey State Prison. And it was from complications of pneumonia. And that's the story of John List. I won't shed any tears. <laughs> Not pouring anything out for the homies for this one. <laughs> I feel bad for his family. Even old cockeye. Uh, I mean, there's like... She was a horrible person, but nobody oh, yeah. deserves to... Especially by your family the people you should feel the safest with exactly i mean to kill your mom your children like i can understand but murder suicides happen all the time they kill their their wives and shit i'm a wife myself i'm sure that jimmy's probably thought about it once or twice <laughs> but your children and your mama i'm sure jj's weighed the pros and cons of prison life if he does away with me when i've been he running my mouth so be someone's bitch 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. what do you need sir <laughs> he would be you like my honey bun okay <laughs> making like prison makeup looking pretty he does have beautiful eyes he does <laughs> and a killer smile <laughs> those nice teeth yeah he's got all those nice teeth yep <laughs> <laughs> well you guys that was john list Thanks for listening. As always, remember to stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't be like John Liz and not only bring it too close to home, but bring it up into home. Right into your ballroom. Right in there with the sleeping bags and all y'all. Don't That's do it. not very David Bowie. It's not. It's not a vibe. <laughs> got a vibe. Got a vibe. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you like listening to us, you can find us on Facebook at Too Close Pod or under the Instagram handle Too Close Podcast. Also, if you have any stories of your own Too Close to Home experiences, shoot us an email at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.